Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're focusing on a unique opportunity for students and educators to learn about an exciting VR design competition. Exponential Destiny was founded in the early 2000s, and the program's main objective was to help young people future-proof themselves and arm them to make this exponential change in the way they think and act. Recently, their group was actually invited to a UN meeting to introduce and then launch their inaugural competition, and it challenges students to create a VR experience that raises awareness toward one of the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. These goals have been great stepping stones for many educational projects around the world because they emphasize improving humanity. And some of the areas that these 17 different goals hit on are things like improving life on land, reducing poverty, producing quality education, and it goes on. So we're so fortunate to talk to the founder, Marcus Shingles, and his co-founder, Marco Vargas, today. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Craig. Thank you so much. I always start with kind of an origin story, which is what got your company interested in connecting VR and education? Sure. I mean, it's, a, it's actually a fun story. It's a fun background. Um, Exponential Destiny is a 501c3 nonprofit, educational nonprofit. Um, but the origin, it, you know, it's a very pragmatic um journey that led us to where we are today. Uh, and our ambition is the fact that we're actually seeing real results and, it, and, and it's working. And so I'll just give you a little bit of this backdrop. Um, around 2015, uh, I'm based here in Los Angeles. And I was working at a large management consulting firm, uh, Deloitte Consulting, where I led the digital, uh, the emerging technology and innovation practice that the firm had globally. And I spent a lot of t my time uh, up in Silicon Valley working with the, the C-suites of, of the Fortune 500 companies, um, teaming up with Singularity University and XPRIZE Foundation. Eventually I took over the CEO role at XPRIZE. Um, but we had programs where we took the C-suite and we're, we were talking to them in 2012 about blockchain and 3D printing and AI and robotics and virtual reality. Um, quantum computing, you know, all these emerging trends that back in 2012, not a lot of people were talking about. I mean, Silicon Valley was talking about it, but so we were getting people exposed to this. And, uh, you know, I, I had a little bit of anxiety in terms of, you know, A, I saw a lot of the wheels turning in the executive teams that we were talking to in their heads about the future of labor that they're going to need. And it was going to look much different than probably what schools were preparing people for right now, especially with artificial intelligence and robotics replacing a lot of jobs eventually. So you could kind of see those wheels turning that that's, that's where things were going to head. And, um, you know, I also had two kids of my own and my daughter went to a private school and even in a private school here in California studying biology, 
I felt like they weren't keeping her up to speed with the latest digital emerging technologies that were going to disrupt that whole industry, like CRISPR-Cas9 and gene editing and, you know, biotech. I mean, just something even in a private school wasn't being talked about yet and taught. So I felt like the education system was failing the where the, the resources were going to be needed. And then I, I felt more specifically that a public school system, probably in my own community here in Los Angeles, particularly in, in a low-income community or under-resourced community like South Central Los Angeles, and I had been working with the school system in various capacities uh, just out of a passion project to, to kind of get involved, I, I felt like they were even more dire straits. Like if they didn't, you know, I, a lot of the emphasis was on coding. And um, although I think coding is a very effective skill set to learn. I think it's a good way to probably develop the brain and modern day reading. I wasn't too convinced that coding or even today that coding is predominantly going to be a good skill set for the average person to learn because you're going to have to be a pretty good coder when artificial intelligence and machine learning comes, comes into fruition and does a lot of this coding for you. So to bank on that as a skill set, I, I don't know if that was the right thing. And I saw a lot of schools, especially public schools. It, it, it's a great skill set. It's probably just 15, 20 years too late. <laughs> Or hard to teach, right? How do you find teachers, right? Totally. And we had, you know, we had one of the, one of the young people in Exponential Destiny on the leadership team, Iris, she even, you know, when we did the UN presentation, which we'll talk about at the ITU summit in Geneva, she was on stage talking about the fact that she had to take a coding class in high school and she was an all A student, first generation high school graduate, first generation college student, but her senior year, or I think it was her junior year, she was told she had to take coding in order to be relevant. And she got in that class and it was Python. And she's just, her words were just like, I was bamboozled. Like, this is just something my brain does not get its head around. And I couldn't learn it. And so I was very discouraged. I thought I wasn't going to be in STEM because I didn't, couldn't code. That's the message that was being sent to her. So she was thrilled. And, we'll, um, you know, I'm kind of foreshadowing a little bit. She was thrilled when she realized that in virtual reality, building out these metaverse and immersive experiential environments, is much more of a creative skill set. What we've identified is it's, you can do it without any technical coding, and we'll get into that. But but back to the origin story, Les, you know, I, I saw in the, in the LA Times a, an interesting story about a school that really had hit scorched earth in terms of just had really gotten to the point where they were shutting it down because it got so bad in, in a South Central neighborhood, and they were trying to reinvent it. And there was a big LA Times article about it, and I thought the principal on this that was leading this charge was very innovative and interesting kind of, I could tell he kind of liked to break rules. So he's a little bit like me <laughs> in terms of just doing what's right versus always doing what what's within the rule book. And um, the school itself had actually awarded, did an RFP to try to reinvent itself. And it was the community that won the RFP, the request for proposal out competing some professional service firms and et cetera. I thought that was interesting. And, so they got the students' uniforms and they rebranded it Nava College Prep Academy. So they gave it a, a college prep naming and brand and they worked on the curriculum and got computers for all the students and, you know, they all wore uniforms, et cetera. But they basically made it adjacent to the old high school, which was Jefferson High School, which was still there. And that's where I met Marco, who's on, who's my co-founder, my colleague, who was 15 years old at the time. This was in like 2015 or and um, we, we created a pro I, I created a program there called Exponential Entrepreneur, which essentially was everything I was teaching the C-suites up in Silicon Valley. It was just brought to a classroom setting and kind of put in, into the narrative or, or explained to, to that proper age group. 
but you know, something that I knew would get them excited and skill sets that would be very relevant for them and put them ahead of the curve because not everyone was talking about this stuff back then. And um, long story short, Marco and team, uh, some of those, some of his classmates started to launch businesses off of that education and really got excited about it. And this, and they were basically being more entrepreneurs, understanding the new, the new tools in your toolbox. Maybe you don't know how to program AI, but you know it exists. You know how to use it. You know how to access it off the cloud. And that combined with 3D printing and some biotech and some advanced robotics and some, you know, other technologies, you start to have new tools in terms of how you're going to look at solving problems, either from a business perspective or social impact perspective. So Marcos was not only the valedictorian of the high school, got a full ride scholarship to Dartmouth, but he and his peers in that classroom actually launched some businesses um, I don't take credit for that. He he just, you know, I, I gave him 10% of the information and he, he rounded it out to 100% and created businesses. And um, that that origin was interesting, Craig, because I, I was very pleased with it. But one thing that I realized was there's only about 10% of those students that I think could actually be upskilled and to be exponential entrepreneurs um, because it still was a little bit technical, you know, and it was, um, and so to get people into a field in the new economy through a program like that, 10 or 15% of the class I was very happy with, right? Um, if you fast forward to today, we've identified that virtual reality in building out environments in virtual reality has become a skill set that relies to some extent even more on the asset skill set versus the commodity skill set is your creative, your ability to be creative and tell stories, and even artistic. That, I think, is the winning skill set when it comes to building out the metaverse. I think the commodity will be the technical side of the build, in my, in my opinion, because a lot, of the techni- a lot of the technical aspects have already been, the software has innovated them into this user-friendly format to where you can do things today that used to have to code. You can do it now with somewhat of a, a 3D PowerPoint skill set you know, mentality when you get in these environments. And so... Um, the, the turning point or the inflection point was all of a sudden in 2020, you saw this $300 headset come out from Oculus, right? Um, so the price point dropped significantly. You saw software, especially during COVID, get a lot of venture capitalists infused venture capitalism to because I think investors realized that virtual reality space was going to take off a little earlier than everyone expected because everyone was getting Zoom fatigue and we we're all sitting at home. So VR was now all of a sudden immediately relevant a little bit ahead of its time. And so that got an effusion. And so the software became much more robust, not just software that you consume like games, but softwares you can produce and create. And like I said, almost like you would in PowerPoint. And so, you know, creation versus consumption with the software, the software went from thousands of dollars to where it was basically free. You could use the software for months, if not years and and not pay anything for it because it's just the business model behind it completely changed. So all of a sudden you have software that's low cost, if, if not free, you've got a, a, a very inexpensive headset that is a very quality headset that alleviated some of the previous generations of virtual reality and some of the complaints. And, um, and you had the capability to build in these environments with a less technical skill set, with more of a creative skill set. So think about that formula, right? You've got basically the advent of the next generation of the internet emerging. And unlike back in 1992, having to learn Python or HTML or JavaScript, 
you can start getting in the space. And as every brand, every company, every product, every business, every person needs a metaverse virtual reality space, which I predict they will in the next five years, they'll have those just like everyone eventually got a website space. It's just an immersive and experiential environment in 3D rather than a 2D environment. As everyone starts to need that over the next several years, what a great time to to introduce this capability right before it happens versus teaching them the code 20 years after the invention of the internet. Why don't we do that with young people in economically stressed situation or adult learners and really get them into this space? And that was really what Marco and I and the team realized, like, let's get out there and start doing this. So I, I had a bunch of commercial projects at first that I was doing where I stopped using and working with the management consulting firm I was a part of and started doing it with the, with Marco and his colleagues in his, you know, 21, you know, 20 year olds from South Central LA, they were the team that we were using to build these spaces for a financial service company or for a consumer product company or for a um, group that was building a airport in Northern uh, Thailand. You know, all these, all these use cases were popping up. And so we started just, we've done like 25 projects now. And um, we're at the point where, and I guess we'll get into this in the conversation is we're at the point now where our goal is we think we're trying to touch as many young, young or adult learners in economically stressed situations to try to help them get this skill set early, be ahead of the curve, and get them equipped for the onslaught of demand that we anticipate so they can get into a new economy job and be in an employable profession, which is what we've done with, with a, a large group of, of young people already. While at the same time, helping schools in low-income communities use this to completely transform how they do education and learning. Wow. A great sort of segue into just uh, getting Marco onto the mic here and uh, telling me sort of uh, when you first rolled out the contest, Marco, I believe uh, Marcus had said that you were actually invited to a, a UN event. You know, tell us what your role was when you were at there. Were you, uh, did you explain the whole project or did you pick one piece of the project to explain to the audience? Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Marco Vargas. I'm a co-founder and chief operating officer at Exponential Destiny, coming from a first-generation background um, and low income. Um, in regards to our involvement with Generation Connect, with this, which is the youth division of the United Nations and ITU, the International Telecommunications Union, our team has a unique opportunity of actually doing a couple of engagements. I, I would say my favorite one was the Technology Hub. In the Technology Hub, we were actually able to bring Oculus 2 Quest virtual reality headsets and do more than 125 VR demonstrations. And these demonstrations were very simple. It was just first steps in VR and showcasing the art of the possible to young people from really all around the world. And predominantly, um, we saw a lot of interest from people who were coming from developing countries that we didn't really understand. Um, at, at least for me, I had a very important learning experience from Generation Connect. And it was really regards to like internet accessibility and the importance of where we are at in virtual reality. There's really, we're at a unique point where we can have equity in the metaverse and equity in the metaverse means that we will have a more equitable internet version of the internet, right? This is what's going happening right now where the internet is receiving essentially a big software update thanks to all the software and hardware available um, in the metaverse and beyond with exponential technologies and at Generation Connect, we were able to just highlight that, that there's a technological movement that's been, that's globally known as the metaverse. 
and we wanted to showcase the hardware that actually helps people get into the metaverse for the first time. Marco, tell me some of the reactions of the kids when you allow them uh, access to a headset and to see, you know, some of the uh, spaces that were built out and the experiences that you put them in. To say the least, we were the most popular just activity and thing to do at Generation Connect. And that's really saying a lot because that's coming directly from conference organizers who came really up to my team and I after our demonstrations. And they were just thanking us because this Generation Connect Summit, which, by the way, is the first of its kind, was already student-led and organized. Like Everything from the sessions and the topics that were discussed was already 100% student-led. But to really get young people to hands-on experience virtual reality and see um, you know, for example, we showed young people uh, specific software platforms and how they can drag and drop digital objects and how they can upload digital objects, how they can, um, through immersive and experiential learning, understand complex topics like healthy living on a budget or urban trauma. And really, that was what was amazing to us, that we had like literally lines of young people representing um, countries from all around the world um, with a strong interest. And they would come back to us as well, where like they just wanted to engage and Luckily for us, we had a, a call to action, and the call to action for for um, for Generation Connect was get involved and join the Metaverse for SDGs Global Prize in VR competition, which I'm excited about us discussing together. Yeah, the the just a little bit of context there. Mark was referring to this Generations Connect. This this was a United Nations uh, agency called the ITU. Many people are probably familiar with the ITU. They're the group of the UN that focuses on communications, giving internet access to everybody in the world as a UN agency focus, um, artificial intelligence and other, other fields. So this is the body that deals with digital. Um, they had a, they just had a global summit in Kigali, Rwanda, um, that happened about two weeks ago and they had about 4,000, actually it was over 5,000 youth leaders that were hand selected participating globally, uh, with about a thousand of them in person in Rwanda. And so the exponential destiny team, myself and, and, seven other young people uh, from our team, Marco and our, and, and our colleagues, young men and women, by the way, not just all, not just not all men. Um, we were asked to come there and actually talk about the metaverse and virtual reality. So we, we came out there and we brought headsets and we did demonstrations and we did presentations. And this was, this was a follow-up to a major opening keynote that we did about a month and a half earlier in Geneva, Switzerland where Marco and I were on stage again with our team doing the opening keynote at the Digital Transformation Summit of the UN-ITU, where we shared with the entire delegation there um, what is the metaverse, why it's important, and particularly what which sustainable development goals can be really impacted as an opportunity with the metaverse. And the reason we did this presentation in the opening keynote was and I facetiously, I, I facetiously started off the presentation at that opening keynote acting like I was pitching them all on an NFT for the SDGs. So imagine this, a guy from California standing up on stage at this UNITU event in front of all the delegates with, you know, translation in seven language, six languages. And right off the bat with a straight face, I, I pretend that I'm actually saying, Hey, there's an NFT we're going to create around your sustainable development goals. And we're going to raise a lot of money for this NFT. And we also are creating a metaverse land that you can, be your SDG. You can be one of the 17 SDGs and come into this metaverse land and you can buy real estate in this land. And, you know, I was basically mocking facetiously yep. all, all the, all the hype around, you know, Snoop Dogg and buying property in the metaverse next to Snoop Dogg for $450,000 and 
the, the Sotheby's auction that had an NFT that sold for 24 million. I was, I was mocking that, but nobody knew I was mocking that. They thought I was actually pitching them on, they thought I was taking their area of expertise as a UN, as a UN agency, these, the sustainable development goals. And I was trying to commercialize it and capitalize mm. on it. Right? So it was, it was kind of funny. And then I, I let the, you know, I let the, the gig up and I, I paused for a second. I said, you know, the bad news is 60, only 60% of you realize I'm joking. You know, the rest of you think I'm serious. And about 10% of you are going to actually try to come by our booth and buy some of this land next to Snoop Dogg in our metaverse for the SDGs. But, but the point is, with all this hype and noise, we're totally, it's to- totally overshadowing the real potential of this technology to transform education, learning, bringing, rising people out of poverty, giving them new skill sets, getting them employed, equity and education, all these areas of the SDGs. And that's what we're trying to expose the UN agency to, is that this is a game changer and it's finally democratized to where we can scale this and do some amazing things with it. And then that whole presentation for the remaining you know, 25 minutes was Marco and Samantha and Iris and a principal from Chicago and his students and a, a teacher who won National Teacher of the Year in the United States and all these people saying, we've been working on this for the last you know year and this is a game changer. It's helping schools and low-income communities think in abundance instead of scarcity because now they have digital real estate that they can create any type of field trip or environment or learning experience that they want. Um, and there's no incremental cost for it because it's all digital. Um, and we have young people, you know, one of our colleagues, Marco and I uh, have a colleague on the leadership team. His name is Juan and Juan got up there, Craig, it was great. He got up there and said, by the way, they all did an amazing job. I mean, the video is on our website, by the way, the sdgmetaverseprize.org. It's the first thing you can watch is this opening keynote. It's really fun to watch. Mm. But Juan, Juan got up there and said, a year ago, I was working at Target stores, stocking shelves, trying to provide for myself to put myself through college, first generation college student, as well as my family. Um, I shadowed Marcus on a couple commercial projects that he did in virtual reality. You know, this is before Zuckerberg made it popular with with changing the name to Meta. This was way before that time. You know, I, I shadowed Marcus on a project. And when we got done with the project, we did a proof of concept helping a company use virtual reality. And the CEO of the company was like, well, this is fantastic. This stuff is totally ready for prime time. The proof of concept worked. We're going to use this for marketing and sales and training. We got 200,000 people in this, as distributors in this organization. We really want to scale this. You know, Marcus, do you have anyone that can come in and we can hire that we can work in and help us launch this department. And my response was, you know, it's pretty early. Like there's not a lot of talent out there, but what about Juan? And the CEO's like, you mean the 19 year old that, well, yeah, we actually loved Juan, but we just didn't want to steal him from you. You know, no, the whole idea is please employ him. That's the whole goal here. And that Juan told that story. So he's like, now I'm 21 years old and I'm head of the VR department for a large consumer product company. He's got some of the advanced, he's probably one of the more advanced people in this space right now. Plus he's one of the leaders on our exponential Desi team. I mean, it's that type of stuff that we think is repeatable, you know? Um, well, not only that, but putting kids in the driver's seat and giving them the agency. I think you, you alluded to this earlier on in our talk. I don't think people are yet fully aware of how much the barrier has been lowered for VR content creation. And, you know, we need to like this podcast, sort of sing sort of the praises that, you know, this is a skill set that lots of kids 
can emphasize, as you alluded to, which is 21st century skills like creativity, innovation, you know, yeah. they're, they're communicating a narrative or a story. Yeah, Marco, they, uh, Marco ahead, alluded to a, a program, though, uh, a lot of the audience of this show are teachers. And of course, one of the first questions is, well, what's a no code or a low code program that you guys are um, hanging your hat on or basically recommending for schools and kids to get working on designing VR platforms? That's a great question. So the program that we're inviting everyone, including my peers from all around the world, is to join the Metaverse for SDGs Global Prize in VR competition. This initiative is really um, a framework for us helping advance the United Nations 17 Sustainable Sustainable Development Goals and at the same time helping young people all around the world, young and adult learners, understand what are the career and educational opportunities available in the metaverse. So our team is actually using this initiative as a mechanism for training at scale young people about virtual reality and more importantly, the, the specifics around how can you become a metaverse creator? How can you actually have a professional career? And, and, to, and that the most important aspect of that to us is that young people and adult learners need to be a part of a global community that is working collaboratively to advance the sustainable development goals and to help each other understand the full capabilities of virtual reality. And, and Craig, I think also kind of piggybacking on your question was what platforms that, that this is the right question to be asking. Okay. Because yeah, if you go to a, if you go to a metaverse or virtual reality summit right now, I don't, I don't hear any dialogue about the fact that this has been transformed into a skill set that, uh, that you can teach a young person, even if they're coming from an under-resourced education environment. And, and, and teachers, by the way, teachers are the ones that can create in this environment. The reason being, like I said, that the software has gotten so user-friendly. Now, you were asking about which platforms. We actually, we're, our, our focus right now is to emphasize, learn three or four of the platforms that are leading right now, keeping in mind that just like MySpace was replaced by Facebook, you don't know what's going to be the platform that at the end of the day here. My, pers- my professional and personal goal is that I'm hoping that it's a decentralized platform, so it's not monopolized by some commercial entity. But right now, um, the the platforms that we think are good platforms to create in, that a teacher, a student, a librarian, administrator can actually get in and start building things from scratch into any curriculum or educational pedagogy that we've we've identified, is there's a few of them right now that are leading. And we're not invested in them. We don't have partnerships with them. By design, we don't, because we don't want to seem like we're influenced in that way. Um, but the, the key platforms for creating right now are what we've used. We've used Engage, which actually comes from an educational background. That that platform was actually designed through an educational lens. So you can do testing and stuff in it as well. But that's a good environment where you can create in. We've been using Spatial VR. Um, that's another one. I mean, businesses were using Spatial more than schools and stuff, but we've found some really good ways to use Spatial. They all have their pros and cons. We can maybe get another podcast. We can get into some of the pros and cons. We're actually going to cover. These are the things we're going to cover for those that join the the SDGMetaversePrize.org competition. That's why we're doing it. We're going to get everyone familiar with these platforms. And then, and then a couple others are, you know, Horizons, which is Facebook's environment for creating virtual reality environments. And then Mesmerize is a company that has gatherings. We've actually been working with gatherings because they've actually given us, they have given us some funding as a nonprofit to work with some of the schools 
um, very generously and not, you know, not asking us to only use their software, but to really get out there and teach young people this. But they have a platform that that's actually evolving very quickly as well. That's that's exceptional for having big meetings and you know hundreds, if not thousands, of people, but also the ability to start creating. And then there's a product called Vatom, V-A-T-O-M, that we use. But the point is this. I don't know what the flavor of the month is in terms of a platform, quite frankly. I assume it's going to evolve pretty rapidly, just like every tech does. We think it's good right now if you're teaching this and you're learning this, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like Start to learn the different platforms. You'll start to realize they're all, they all have a lot of similarities, so it's not like mutually exclusive learning. It's You learn one, you're kind of learning half of or two-thirds of, the, of every other one. And they'll continue to evolve and innovate. I will say this, the amount of innovation as far as how quickly they're evolving in terms of what you can do, every six-month period is like night and day. You know, six months ago, there were things, we thought it was the best capabilities to help teachers teach and learn and students to get in and create. And then six months later, it's like new releases are coming out so rapidly. Again, it's, it's economics. They're getting a big cash infusion from investors and venture capitalists because metaverse is hot now. So all those firms are getting money, which is helping us because we're getting more functionality in the software. But but these are the platforms we're talking about. We don't go into some of the, you know, if you talk to most people about VR and metaverse and creation, you start learning about some of these bigger um, powerhouse tools uh, that are being used, you know, um, to actually create these like um, Unity and others. We're, we're going around that. We're not using those. I, I, those are amazing platforms and you can do really awesome professional work to, for a school to pick this up and actually use it to be successful, you really just need a minimum viable product or what we call a minimum viable experience. You know, you don't need a big budget. You don't need the fanciest graphics. I mean, a few years ago, you'd have to pay, I'd have to pay three, four years ago, I'd pay tens of thousands of dollars to get a graphic design artist to create 3D images that I would bring in virtuality. Now I can find an abundance of images on marketplaces online, just like you find clip art. You know, the market's exploding. So you can go buy a a CAD diagram of a three-dimensional heart that you can take into virtual reality, and then you can take your students and make that heart the size of a house and actually take them through the ventricles and the aorta and actually give them a tour way better than if you took them to a lab on a field trip physically, you know? So it's just, it's, it's that type of inflection point that's happening that's really, you know, really exciting. And then if you want to get a little more advanced with it, you know, we got a 20-year-old on our team who's kind of our, he's our CTO. His name is uh, Pablo. And, um, he, he uses on his iPhone LiDAR on the, on the latest, you know, I think version 12 of the iPhone and later, all phones will have this. But now the new iPhones, they have a LiDAR, which is that thing on the self-driving car, right, that spins around and takes images so the car doesn't, doesn't crash. That's now on your phone. That $300,000 piece of equipment now is sitting on your phone. And you can take your phone and you can LiDAR something physical in your room. <laughs> or we use it to LiDAR graffiti off of a wall in Miami and then we brought that graffiti into virtual reality once we lidar it. But now, you know, you can do that with your phone. You can put that on a drone and take the topography of a, of a, of a neighborhood and then bring that into virtual reality. These are all for free, you know, using, a, using what was on, you know, something that was on your iPhone. And it's, it's that type of gold nuggets we keep finding as this, this space continues to innovate exponentially that just making it again, a, a mindset of abundance instead of scarcity when it comes to being a teacher and thinking about how you educate people using immersive and experiential technologies. One of the questions, and this might be one for Marco that I can't think, help but think of as a teacher myself, that 
you know, let's say I'm interested either as a student or maybe I'm a teacher at a school somewhere who's listening to this podcast and I'm really excited and I want to get my students interested in this by taking the competition. I sign up and then, you know, I'm like, hmm, what do I do first? Do I have to do research? What do I do next? But I, it sounds like, Marco, that as part of this competition, you have little workshops to help kids go through the design process on how to build a decent VR space. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. So the the Metaverse Strategy Global Prize Competition is designed for us to provide support to a global community. And we're going to provide support in the form of publishing resources on our website and hosting at least monthly um educational information sessions that provide updates on how the general um, community is is, um, is doing and as well as any optional follow-up training sessions that are hosted by some of our virtual reality and metaverse experts in-house, including Pablo, who you've heard about, Zach, who's a mastermind in some of the metaverse softwares that we love and use. Um, but there's a lot of exciting things that young people can do to get involved. And um, the easiest thing to get involved is to contact us at info at scgmetaverseprize.org. You could also email me directly at marco at exponentialdestiny.org, and I'd be happy to discuss how we can get either your 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 group of young people involved, or maybe your specific uh, you specifically involved for the, for anyone who's listening. And the and the competition, Craig, is actually two age groups. It's we've separated fourteen and eighteen year olds, and then nineteen year olds and above. And right now we've got about forty percent in the fourteen to eighteen year old category, and about sixty percent of the registrants in the nineteen year old and above. So these are also college students or people that are just above nineteen years old. We have some people that have registered that are in their thirties. It's just anyone that wants to be a part of a really fun initiative. You know, the the, the thinking was this: um, the the statistics have shown, the data has shown. I often reference this Price Waterhouse Cooper study because it was done in twenty twenty. PricewaterhouseCoopers did a virtual, this is really important if you're talking to educators, by the way, um, and they can find this study online or on our website. PricewaterhouseCoopers did an independent efficacy study in 2020. They compared a group of virtual reality learners to a group of classroom learners and a group of digital online learners to see across those three cohorts with the same subject area, what were the differences between education and learning across those three disciplines, those three capabilities. Okay. The statistics were this, the results were this. VR learners, virtual reality learners in a headset were four times faster to train than in a classroom. That's a 400% improvement in speed to train someone. Makes sense, right? You're immersed and you can experience things. You always learn faster that way. 275% of the results show that 275% of students said they had, sorry, students said they had a 275% improved confidence to act on issues and to apply what they learned after training. 275% improvement. That's a big number. 3.75 times more emotionally connected to content than classroom learners. You know, that's this is just the effect VR has on your brain. When you experience something, it has a, a different emotional effect on you than if you're reading about it or someone's lecturing to you about it. And then four times more focused than their e-learning peers. And we all know in the education system right now, focus and engagement is a big problem. You can also gamify these environments. You can make games out of them. And, you know, it's, we call it edutainment, education combined with entertainment. You can make these things in virtuality. And that study from PwC is actually a 2020 study, which means it's completely outdated because now it's 2022. And if you did this same study again, 
the, the technology is, is in two years has evolved what our linear brains think about happens in 10 years, you know, so we're seeing that firsthand. So if you're an educator, you got to be like, I got to give this a shot. And that's what we do. We go work with schools and we help them do a six month project to transform, to do, do basically do experiments. Let's take a topic that you're having trouble teaching your students using traditional means. Basically your fa- the, the grades of your students are not where they need to be compared to the national average. Principal, tell us what topics those are because we're going to do a proof of concept with you to see if we take it into VR, if we can improve those metrics. That, that's our methodology for going and working with a school. And then we just experiment. We create all these environments. We take the classrooms and at the school and make them into different teams. So we actually get multiple experiments going at one time. And through that emulative process, we, we end up with some minimum viable experiences that you know give you a line of sight to how this is going to be more effective. And so our, our goal was... The, the sustainable development goals of the UN, the 17 of them, as you were mentioning off the top of this call, are very important goals, People, things that everyone should be understanding, have empathy for, should be educated about, should have awareness about. And so the, we thought, wouldn't it be great to launch a virtual reality competition where we ask teams to form across the world, two to six people per team, and fit in your age group, the 14 to 18-year-olds or the 19-year-old above age group, pick one of the sustainable development goals and you and your team have about nine to 10 months to actually build out the most amazing creative experience you can in these environments to bring empathy, awareness, and education to that sustainable development goal. That's going to be your, your ground for practicing. And as Marco was describing, we're going to hold workshops over the next 10 months to try to evolve people's learning. One of the things as, as people register for this prize on the website, we ask them the question, what's your current level of understanding of virtual reality and metaverse. And one of the options was, I have no understanding. I don't even know what it means. And to the far right, which was, I'm an expert in this already. I've used this quite a bit. I think the statistics right now with the four or 500 teams that we've registered, individuals we registered from all over the world, by the way, it's like 80%. I have no idea what the metaverse and VR is, but, but we have zero doubt that within the matter of the four or five months, they're going to start to learn how to create these environments and they're all going to excel. And then that's going to be a skill set that not only helps us create this SDG metaverse, which will be an interesting public, open to the public, you know, as a nonprofit utility that people can, can, can go in, but also hopefully get them, hopefully give them the bug where they're like, my gosh, I can actually build in this environment. It's not as technical. I don't have to learn how to code. It relies on my creative skills. And now I can go off and find work to do this or go help my school do this. That, that's really the goal behind this. And what a great way to raise awareness toward these goals, which, you know, right now, you know, people have heard of them, but do they truly sort of embody and develop a sense of care and empathy? Maybe not. And maybe that's where VR comes in to help sort of raise even better awareness towards some of these goals. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that, Craig, because I think as a young person myself, I'm 22 years old. And, you know, if you ask the average young person, what are the 17 sustainable development goals? Heck, if you ask them, what is the United Nations and what do they do? Most responses will probably be, unfortunately, either, I don't know, I've never heard of them. And I think with virtual reality being a technology that only is not, not only much more accessible and affordable than it has been ever in the past, it's also a technology that is d- directly aligns with the priorities of young people these days, like all around the world young people are increasingly finding themselves in a position where they 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 not only want, but they need to become employed because they need to survive. They need to pay for bills and the cost of living. And so that's what I love about all the work we're doing. 
Well, and the other thing that I really love about this is, you know, it it's it's more equitable. I think uh, we we briefly talked about this off air before we hit record, and you know, schools too many schools unfortunately can't afford to even think about diving into this. But you've sort of offered up this wonderful carrot for schools to say, listen, we'll help you along the process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's lower cost than a computer, too, if you think about it. I mean, the Oculus Quest 2 is a computer. You don't have to hook it up to a computer. And it's a productivity tool, too. I mean, there's software in there where you can actually access the web and access spreadsheets and do productivity through a virtual computer that you have looking at it in your headset. So the point is, you know, the PwC study also did a scale study, and they showed that over time, this is the cheapest, most affordable option, too especially when the next generation headset comes out and the first generation even gets lower in price or it's donated and stuff, there's really an opportunity for schools. So for a $300 headset, you know, you get a, a class. We, we try, when we work with a school, we try to leave them self-sufficient so they have a curriculum that they actually adopt on Metaverse and Web 3.0 that they put into the school so now it runs every year. And every year they're producing assets. And if I'm a school and I produce a virtual reality environment that teaches me about healthy living on a budget, or teaches me about, we just did one with Chicago where you go into virtual reality to learn about a career path. That's what the school came up with. Like, we'd love to get students excited about, they want to learn about what's it like to be a game designer or a lawyer or an accountant. Well, nobody wants to be an accountant, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, what an amazing idea. That's that's through the ideation methodology we use with them. That's that They're like, why don't we try to do that in virtual reality, like to teach people about career paths? Like you get into virtual reality and you, you have a door in front of you that says game designer and you walk in that door and it tells you what, you know, there's an avatar that's telling you like who's talking to you about the type of grades you need and the schools you should try to look at, special training, what a career path looks like. I mean, heck, for the Chicago team, we've actually, I have a connection here in Hollywood with some of the Oscar award-winning graphic design artists that have done movies like Batman and the Marvel comic series and all that stuff. And they did call of duty and all those games. We actually are bringing them in as an avatar and recording them. So they actually share their knowledge with the Michelle Clark high school in Chicago. Like that's one of the things we put in there and you know, you can just immerse them. It's not getting them in VR and showing them PowerPoint slides. You could do that on zoom. If you're going to bring them in there, like really bring it to life. Think of creative ways to tell them the story. You've got tools like rain and mist and sound and thunder and flashes and objects and animation. You have all these tools to use when you get in there. You can really make it quite interesting. Yeah. Um, active active learning is what we call it. I think is a, if I spew out edu speak, it's yeah. basically active learning is the way to get someone to lean into to, to learning. To, to right. and, and students like this. I mean, they get in there and they're kind of giddy, right? So it's the teachers, the light bulb goes off in their head immediately. They're like, you know, we're going to gamify education, and we and we're going to do it on the cheap. We're going to do it with a with some headsets and some software that's not going to that a low income school can actually afford. Now, when we do this, we have sponsors. So, like gatherings and mesmerize, they they funded all the headsets. We brought them all in. They pay for all the 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 work that the team does. I do this primarily pro bono, um, just because I do have a day job, and this is you know this is. This is more of just a nonprofit effort for me. But the goal is to have Marco and others on salary to show that a 20-year-old can make a professional salary in this. Um, the But we do, you know, we leave, bring the headsets in. And then even for the Metaverse prize that we keep talking about, we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars we're going to give out as prize money. We think we'll raise close to a million dollars by the time this is over, meaning because we got 10 months to raise all the money that we give out next year on a UN stage somewhere. We're going to have the award ceremony. Um, 
but companies like the Honest Company, which you know uh, Nick Vallejos, the CEO, was an executive at Clorox. Jessica Alba, the the actress, she's the one who founded that company. She's a business executive. You know, they give us our first fifty thousand dollars, you know, to fund these pri. And, and why did they do that? Because SDG number twelve, sustainable consumption and production, is why Jessica Alba started the Honest Company as an organ. You know, that was the basis for why she started that company. So they were they love the idea of putting prize money down on that SDG to see if we can crowdsource the world for some team to come up with a way to describe why that SDG is so important. Um, but yeah, we have, you know, for food, we got a company called blend hub, BSB design DTV. We had a private individual from Chicago who's passionate about oceans, give us money for SDG, you know, life below water, you know, really dealing with oceans. So our goal is we have two reasons with that money we're going to use it for primarily it goes as prize money. We allocate across the 17 SDGs across the two age groups. But also we have a process. If you're a, if you're a team that can't afford a three hundred dollar headset, we do have money reserved to actually get you a headset. If that's going to be your barrier to entry, that you can't even work, you can't even compete on this prize if you don't have the headset. Keeping in mind, you can build these spaces on a desktop, and you can access access them on a phone. Obviously, the ideal experience is immersed in a headset, but not everyone's going to have a headset. So there's still options. But that's you know that's kind of how this all fits together. Absolutely brilliant, you guys. I'm uh, mindful of time, so uh, I just want to wrap up by reminding listeners again, if they are interested in the competition or want to uh, learn how to maybe get involved, maybe uh, spew out again one last time sort of where are some great contact points. Marco, you want to do that? Yeah, so again, the web, to register for to register for the Metaverse for SDG's Global Prize in VR competition, um, I'm inviting personally every young person and educator who's listening, young and adult learners, um, to visit www.sdgmetaverseprize.org. It's a very quick and short uh, registration form that helps us, you know, really get to know you and also puts you on our radar and 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 adds you to communication. So we'll be following up from then. Again, it's www.sdgmetaverseprize.org, and you can also contact us at info at sdgmetaverseprize.org and you can get in direct contact with me. That's, S- that's SDG, Sustainable Development Goal. S- Beautiful. DG. And I'll put, it in, I'll put it in the show notes too. Cool. Well, Gentlemen, thanks so, thanks so much for, this is a fantastic competition. I've seen other competitions around the development goals. I've seen uh, all sorts of stuff, but this, again, this is uh, an emerging tech, which uh, I think, uh, deserves its spotlight now. Yeah, and Craig, and maybe to end the podcast, let me just share as an added incentive because you know we're going to have fun doing this competition. You're going to get upskilled. You're going to learn a lot. Maybe if you produce something amazing, you'll be on the UN stage at the ITU next May, receiving a prize, cash prize. But also, this is a mechanism for exponential destiny. We have more demand than we have supply. We have more businesses and schools that want to start using these capabilities. So this is a little bit of a job interview, meaning if, if you enter this competition and you do well in it, you don't have to win the competition. You just do well and you become part of the community. You're on our radar. Our goal as a nonprofit is to try to employ you in the, in the coming months or years, is to actually try to get job placement for you. And this is a great way for us to build the community and understand you know, who's excelling with this skill set and who we can put into some of those positions as we start to see the demand go exponentially in the marketplace for this. Hmm, unbelievable. Gentlemen, thanks so much for making a difference in the world, especially the world of education, which sometimes gets forgotten. I appreciate it.
of course. And thanks for the podcast and all you do. It's a great podcast. I listen to it often. Appreciate it. Thank you. So Have much a great day. Have a great one. Bye-bye.